Well, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where it's going along and all of a sudden in the back of your mind you're thinking TMI. You ever been there? You know, too much information, TMI. You know, and, and I think TMI happens uh, for two different reasons. I, I think one way that it happens is um, when someone's talking to you and they start sharing information that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Like, okay, um, I probably shouldn't be knowing this. Um, it's not, I think, uh, mm, TMI, TMI. I think another way in which we experience TMI is when someone gives you too much detail. You know, like they're going on and on and on. And, and there's really not a lot of give and take with the conversation. It's like they just keep talking. And, and all the details that are coming your way, you find yourself sort of going glassy-eyed on them. You ever been there? You know, where all of a sudden it's like, okay, I, I think you're just talking too much, honestly. Well, I've come up with another abbreviation that I think is also true sometimes when we're in conversation. I call it NEI. NEI. Not enough information. You know, you've been in conversations where somebody, well, you know, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to get anyone in trouble or they don't want to, uh, you know, give too much away. Uh, they want to make sure that they don't offend, um, you know, and so they, they keep it pretty vague. And you're talking to them and you're thinking to yourself, what's your point? What are you trying to tell me? And in the back of my mind and now in the back of yours maybe, you'll be thinking, N-E-I, N-E-I, I need a little bit more than what you're giving me. Well, we as Christians are called to share our faith. We are supposed to give an answer for the hope that is within us, the Bible says. We are called to be ambassadors for the Lord, which means we're to be out there telling people about Jesus. And yet, I think it's a bit of a challenge for us. And I think the reason why it can be a bit of a challenge is because we either find ourselves doing a little TMI with sharing with people, or we may find ourselves being a little NEI with people, like, you know, not saying enough or maybe saying too much, and uh, it, it can get a little uncomfortable. Now, the Lord calls us to go public. Going public with our faith is what we're supposed to do. It's not supposed to be something that we just kind of keep private. That's just my own little private relationship with Jesus, and I, you know, I don't tell anybody. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be public with it. But when I say going public, I'm not talking about, like, you know, megaphone on a, on a street corner. Matter of fact, um, I was at spring training for the Packers this past spring. I'm sorry, fall. Fall training. Spring training is baseball. Uh, and uh, and I and I was uh, I was coming back from going over to Lambeau Field, and in the intersection, there was a couple of guys, and they had a megaphone, and they had signs that they were holding. And let me just say, they were going public with their faith. They were going public about Jesus, but the reality was nobody was really listening to them. I mean, I'm you know I'm a pastor, and I walked by, not listening to them. Kind of like, you know, do what you do, whatever, you know. I don't know if it's the best way to go about this, but what have you. And uh, um, I, when, I, when I talk about going public, uh, we have to communicate in such a way where people are willing to listen. 
We have to communicate in such a way where the outside world is intrigued by what we have to say and is engaged in what we're talking about. So we're in this series entitled Foretold. We're going through Luke chapter 1, and we've arrived at Luke chapter 1 and verse 57. And uh, it's where we'll hear about the birth of John the Baptist. But we'll hear more than just about the birth of John the Baptist. We're actually going to hear about how um, the whole neighborhood was talking about the birth. The whole, everybody around was, was communicating not just about the birth, but about like, you know, what the Lord has been up to. Uh, the word has got out. It's gone public about the Lord. So as we dive into this next section of Luke chapter 1, we're going to see how Elizabeth, who's, who's um, John the Baptist's mom, and Zacharias, his dad, uh, let people know what God was up to and how this had an effect on the community around them. And hopefully when we hear about the effect that it had on the community around them, maybe we can learn from them on how we can, you know, go public with our faith and maybe have a, a, an impact on our community where we can engage the community and be, be intriguing to our community. And I think that the, the secret formula for that is some kind of a balance between TMI and NEI for the sake of inviting people into a relationship with Jesus and then together become devoted followers after him. So the first thing we're going to see this morning is that I believe we can engage those around us if we tell them about the goodness of the Lord. In other words, going public with our thankfulness to the Lord. This is what Elizabeth did as she was uh, pregnant and getting ready to give birth to John the Baptist. So go with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 57, if you have your Bibles handy. If you don't have a Bible handy, I have the scriptures up here on the, on the screen for us. So Luke chapter 1, verse 57 says this. Now, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. Now, you notice what... What's happening here, uh, right in the beginning of verse 58, let me read the beginning of verse 58 again. It says, her neighbors and her relatives heard. Now, let me ask, how did, how did they hear? Like, how did the word get out? Well, it had to have started with Elizabeth and Zacharias. So, of course, Zacharias couldn't talk, which we'll mention again here coming up. But um, Elizabeth had to be talking about it. That's how it started. She was going around telling people how thankful she was to the Lord. And notice what she was talking about. Verse 58 goes on, and it says, that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. He had displayed his great mercy toward her. You know, when we talk about God is merciful, we might say to people, oh, God is so good. You know, God is so merciful. God is, God is so kind. By the way, when we use sort of that cliche-ish language, I think it borders on NEI. It's not enough to just kind of say, well, God's just so good. You know, I just, God is so good to me. God's so kind. Do you notice what, what the message was here? Notice what it says. It, it's that the Lord had displayed, see that word displayed, displayed his great mercy. Elizabeth was talking about how God had displayed his mercy in her life, that she was getting up there in age, beyond the age of childbearing, and she had been praying and praying and praying to have a child. And by God's great mercy, he allowed her to become pregnant with John the Baptist. 
And she just shared how she shared, was talking about her longings to the Lord, her desires before the Lord, and that the Lord blessed her with this pregnancy. And, you know, the Lord wants us to come to him with our longings and our desires and our struggles so that he can shower us with his mercy. He wants to do that. Matter of fact, I love this passage in Hebrews 4. Just jump back to Hebrews 4 real quick. In verse 15, it says this. For we do not have a high priest, this is speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And I love verse 16. Listen to this. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy. Same exact word as in Luke chapter 1. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we admit our weaknesses and we're honest before the Lord for our longings, with our longings and how we fall short, we can be sure that we can just go to the throne of grace. You know, that means that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to be at some sort of level with the Lord or, or, or behave in a certain way where we can actually go before him and, and make our requests made known to him. We, we can come with unmerited. It, we don't have to earn it. We can come to that throne of grace so that we might receive mercy. He's there to shower us with his mercy as we humble ourselves before him. I love these words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, some of you will recognize this. Jesus says these words. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our merciful Jesus wants to shower us with his mercy. To love on us with his kindness. And ultimately, I think the Lord has shown his mercy, has displayed his mercy, his great mercy to us in saving us and giving us eternal life. The very thing we were expressing as we took communion together. There's so many passages to choose from to highlight how he showers us with his mercy in saving us that are throughout the New Testament. One that I really like, I just love how it expresses it, is found in a passage that you will remember its reference from here on out, I hope. It's one that I can remember because of how it's laid out. It's Titus 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Titus 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. That's a good, thing to, uh, good way to remember it. Just think of Titus 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Let me read to you Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. It says this, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, let this just soak in a little bit. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, same exact word, according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When I read those words, what, what emotion is stirred in you? I mean, if I were to just restate it, like God just showers us with his mercy, he out of his kindness, he saves us. And 
and he gives us hope, and he's, he gives us his richly giving us his Holy Spirit to lead us along. How, how does that stir in you? Do you find yourself being thankful for that? Do you find yourself going, man, thank you, Lord, for saving me, just because you're good? If, that, if that's how you feel, let me just, just show a hand. Like, thank you, Lord, for that. Yeah, now keep your hands up for a second. Raise that up to the Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for displaying your mercy to us, Lord. Thank you for that. You're so good. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. Don't tell anyone. Keep it to yourself. That's just private. No, of course it's not private. If you're thankful and I'm thankful, we got to tell people about it. We got to go public with our thankfulness to the Lord. We, we can't have that just be something we keep inside just for ourselves. Well, secondly, going public with our close connection to the Lord. The reason why we could raise our hands is because we have that sense of closeness to the Lord, knowing His, His love for us. Go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 59. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Notice it says, they came. Who, who came? Well, the neighbors came, and uh, the relatives came. That actually, circumcision for Judaism, even to this day and all the way back then, um, it was a public event. I mean, everybody get, got together for a little eight-day-old baby to be circumcised. Now, i got to ask, why? Why circumcision? I mean, I, I know it's a little baby. I understand that. But it's, it's a private part, you know? It's a, it's a secret, personal uh, place. Yet this was a ceremony to connect the little boy to the faith of everyone else that were witnessing it, to the relatives and the neighbors that were there. This was public. This was to be public, something they do in public even today, like I say. On the one hand, circumcision is personal and individual. In the New Testament, the sign of circumcision has been done away with. I mean, just read Romans 4 or Galatians 6, specifically verse 15. But the symbolism is still there. The symbolism of circumcision is still there where it's personal and, and, and individual, and it's talking about being intimate with the Lord, deep down, in our private thoughts, in our private lives, in the secret places of our hearts, are we dedicated to the Lord? Do we have a personal, close connection to the Lord? And on the other hand, circumcision symbolizes being united or identified with the others of the faith. Circumcision on the eighth day, like I said, went all the way back to Abraham. Just read Genesis 17. That's where it all started. And it's been a sign that has identified Jews with one another as descendants of Abraham going all, all these years, all these centuries, millenniums really since then. It's a true sign of belonging. Since the New Testament era and the birth of the church, our identity as Christians and making this a public statement 
happens through baptism. On the one hand, um, it's a way of declaring that we belong to the Lord. When we get baptized, we go under the water, and it symbolizes I've died to myself. We come up out of the water, and we say, now I want you all to know that I'm living for the Lord. I want you all to know as an individual, I am pursuing a close connection to Jesus. He's my Lord, and I'm going to follow after him. But on the other hand, baptism is also a way of saying I'm not doing this alone. I'm identifying with my other brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm identifying with the church, the people of faith. And so the Lord calls us to go public with this, with this um, close connection to him. And like I said earlier, we are actually having four baptisms that are going to happen right after the sermon here this morning where they are making a public declaration of their intimate closeness with the Lord personally and their connection to the body of faith, other believers, corporately united with them. And by the way, we have another baptism lined up on January 27th. There was another person, a young man, who wants to be baptized, so we set January 27th. Now, I know January 27th is the weekend that the men, many of the men here will be at the men's retreat, and if you're going to the men's retreat, that's fine, but, uh, and you, you want to be baptized, uh, we'll set another date after that. But for right now, we've, we've lined up January 27th. So if you want to be baptized and you want to make this public, you want to go public with your connection with the Lord, then uh, see me and we'll, we'll talk about setting you up for either January 27th or a date afterwards after that. People are wanting to tell the world that they're followers after him, and I just think it's absolutely fantastic. Let's move on to the third thing. Going public with our obedience to the Lord. Going public with our obedience to the Lord. Look at again in verse 59, just to kind of set it up here for the following verses. And it happened on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. Which, by the way, back in chapter 1 and verse 13, the angel Gabriel saw Zacharias in the temple and told him that his wife was going to be pregnant and that he's supposed to call the baby John, which means God has shown favor. And he was to call him John to indicate that God has shown favor to his people. And they said to her, well, there's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. They made, a sign, they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. By the way, Zacharias, uh, if you've been with us through the series, over and over again we've heard that Zacharias lost his voice in the temple because he didn't put his faith in that the Lord was going to bless him. And, and so now he can't speak. He's mute. He's not deaf. He's mute. And, uh, and so it says in verse 63, he asked for a tablet, which, by the way, real quick, a tablet was a piece of wood with a thin layer of wax on it, and then you could take a sharp, writing utensil like a stick and, and write whatever you wanted to write and then you could actually rub the wax out and erase it again and then write again. So this is the tablet that he had and he wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. Astonished in that, wait, this goes totally against the grain. This goes totally against what society tells us. You're supposed to name the firstborn son after the father. I'm not sure what you're up to, but you know, okay, you know, that's kind of basically what it's saying here. The reason why they were going to give him the name John is because, like I said, Gabriel told him, told them that this is what you're supposed to do. You know, um, when I was in middle school, I was in eighth grade, I took a woodworking class, and I really loved it. I, I remember that class quite well. I don't remember a lot of classes in middle school, 
but this woodworking class was one that I remembered, and I, remember I made a gun rack, and I made a uh, uh, skateboard, actually, where you had to bend the wood for that little, you know, wheelie thingy on the back of the skateboard. And, uh, and I learned a lot about woodworking in that class. It was really a fun class. I haven't really worked with wood since then, but, uh, you know, I had a good time with it. And I remember sanding, and they gave you instructions on, like, right way to sand and wrong way to sand. And I was trying to recall that, so I, I texted a friend of mine, Matt Goff. Some of you know, actually, he made this table in this, this uh, lectern here. And uh, he and John Henry, and I, I texted uh, Matt, and I said, now, just let me, if I remember correctly, like, like sanding, um, you, you, you know, you can kind of go in every single direction to kind of work out all the blemishes and stuff. But, but then um, if you want it really smooth, you got to go with the grain. And he's like, yep, that's exactly right. You actually do like, a, like an X pattern to kind of work the wood down to, to have it, you know, all the blemishes gone. And, then, and then, then you work with the grain to make it nice and smooth. And I was thinking about that. I think, you know, I, t I think we in, in life tend to gravi uh, gravitate toward going with the grain. Like, we just want to make sure that life is smooth, you know. We don't, we don't want to go against the grain. We don't want to go contrary to the grain of life because, uh, well, if you do it on wood, it'll scratch it or scar it or, or cause it to not look very pretty. And in life, we don't want to scratch or scar or you know, not make anything look not all that pretty in life. And so we tend to move with the grain. We want to kind of make sure that nothing is rough in any way. But as followers of Christ, I think it's common for us to be called by God to go against the grain. It's common for us to have life feel rough at times because we want to go public with our obedience to Christ. And so people will feel like we're kind of scratching them a little bit. Others, will, others around us will feel like, like you know, we're, we're scraping and scarring them a little bit because we're not going with the grain. It doesn't feel overly smooth. But if we're going to live for the Lord, he may be calling us not to go with the grain. We stand up for the Lord. He wants us sometimes to go against the grain. So what are we going to do? I mean, peer pressure tells you go, keep it smooth, go with what everybody else is doing. But God may want something else for our lives. Are we willing to go public with our obedience to the Lord? Which means some of you are in work cultures that really go against what the Lord wants for your life. And he's calling you to obey him and not go along with the culture of your world, of your work. For the students in here, I know your peers at school may want you to keep everything smooth, do what everybody else is doing, but the Lord is calling you to obedience to him, and it goes against the grain of the peers. He's calling you to go public with your obedience to him. Families, oh, families. Families are notorious for putting pressure on us to conform to the family rules. You know, the rules we grew up with, this is how it is, this is how it is in this family, and there's so many strange dysfunctions going on, and God wants to pull us out of that, and families will put pressure on us. You're roughing it up. You're causing it to scrape and not feel comfortable. But God calls us to be obedient to him, and he wants us to go public with it. 
Well, fourth, going public with our praise to the Lord. With our praise to the Lord. Look at verse 64. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise to God. His mouth was open and his tongue was loose. Notice I have loose there and italicized because it's actually not in the original language. It's just that his mouth was open and his tongue was open. That doesn't completely make sense, but in the Greek it makes perfectly good sense. And basically saying that when Zacharias finally could talk, after nine months of not being able to talk, the first thing out of his mouth was he began to speak in praise of God. I picture Zacharias like a sponge. Like over these nine months, he's just filling it up, you know? Like he's seeing all this awesome stuff that God is doing. He's listening to Elizabeth and, and, and Mary, and, and, and he just keeps filling up. And he's like, man, God is so good, and I can't say it. And then finally, when his mouth is open, he's like wringing it out. Whoa, God is so good. I'm just going to offer praise to him. i got to tell you all these things that he's been teaching me and showing me, and i just got to say it. Yeah, you and I, we're, we're actually like sponges. I don't know if you realize this. We get to take stuff in. Like we, we can take in learning about God's Word and God's will for our life. It's wonderful to, to kind of gain this stuff. We can take in gaining insights about ourselves. You know what makes us tick? We can take in fellowship with each other, having fun with one another, enjoying each other's company. We can take in all the blessings of the Lord. But are we wringing it out? Are we wringing it out? Do we go public with our praise? Do we go public with giving back to the Lord what He so deserves? Hebrews 5.12 warns us that we by this time ought to be teachers, pointing others to the Lord, to follow after Him. The Word of God tells us we've got to go public with this. Make our praise to Him public so that other people might give Him praise as well. Which leads me to this question. Does our community feel the ripple effect from this place? Do people know that we go public with our faith? Do people know that we go public with it? Look at the ripple effect that went through Judea. Verse 65, fear came on all those living around them. By the way, that word fear is like puzzlement or being befuddled or not really being able to understand it all, but clearly God was at work. Everybody was seeing it. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. You see the ripple effect there? And all who heard them, who heard Zacharias and Elizabeth, kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? And John the Baptist, he's already got a reputation, and he's like a day old. Well, he's eight days old. He's already got this reputation For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. I love that line. For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. God was revealing that he is alive and well. And he's actively involved in the lives of Zacharias and Elizabeth and in their little baby. You know how everybody knew that? Because they were talking about it. (laughs) They were sharing. They They were thankful before people. They were they were they weren't screaming in the streets, you know, with a megaphone and a sign. But people were intrigued. People were engaged. They weren't shy, and yet they weren't obnoxious. They weren't offensive. They weren't speaking with too much TMI or too little, where it's N-E-I. But they went public with their faith. 
Around 6 p.m. on December 1st, 1955, a shy, gentle, 42-year-old woman was coming home from work, and she entered a bus that was somewhat crowded. She found a seat about middle way through the bus, and uh, she was making her way home from her job as a seamstress. This was in Montgomery, Alabama. When the bus was getting more and more filled, the bus driver stopped. His name was J.P. Blake. And he turned around and he told her and three other African Americans, I need your seats. See, a lot more white people were getting on the bus, and he wanted them to clear out so that the white people could sit in those seats. Well, the three other African Americans, they, they actually abandoned their seats and went to the back of the bus and stood there. This woman, whose name was Rosa Parks, decided she wasn't going to move. Now, J.P. Blake said, oh, I'm going to have to call the police because it's illegal for you to keep sitting there while there's white people that need a seat. There's a picture of Rosa there looking out the window. Well, Rosa Parks in her biography said something that normally doesn't get a lot of attention in this moment. She said this, I instantly felt God give me the strength to endure what would happen next. That's when she would get arrested by the police. God's peace flooded my soul and my fear melted away. You know why she didn't move from her seat? She wrote this in her biography. She said, all people were equal in the eyes of God, and I was going to live like the free person God created me to be. That's why she didn't move. She wasn't trying to make some sort of big movement. She didn't know what was going on. She didn't realize the ripple effect of the impact that God had on her life where she's like, I'm just going to live the way I know God wants me to live. And against total pressure, intense pressure, she went against the grain of culture, and we've been feeling that effect ever since. Well, that next Monday, she was so excited to go to the prayer meeting. She was so excited, and word had gotten around what had taken place. And as she went to this prayer meeting, every, the church was just filled with people, and she was ready to worship the Lord and everything. But there was a young preacher there that she met for the first time that night, 25 years old, and he took charge of the meeting, and he was the one leading the prayer meeting. And you know what his name was? Martin Luther King, Jr. Talk about a guy who was following after the Lord. Talk about a guy who was committed to doing what the Lord, going public with his faith, even if it meant going against the grain. That was Martin Luther King, Jr. He went public. There was another Martin Luther back in the 1500s that went public with his faith. He, he knocked the 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg door of the church, and that, that was the start of the Reformation. And there's people after people after people throughout history who went public with their faith, went against the culture, went against the grain, stood up for the Lord publicly, and have made a difference, a ripple effect ever since. People who tell their neighbors and relatives of God's great mercy, who are close to Him and are committed to following Him no matter what, who take in God's blessings and then wring it out for everybody to see and hear. These people may never be famous. Most of us aren't. But their lives have a ripple effect on those around them because people can see the hand of the Lord is upon them. So how about us? Are we willing to go public? Are we willing to make this public? That we say the hand of the Lord is on me? 
Are we willing to be thankful to the Lord? Are we willing to express His great mercy, how He displays it to us in tangible ways? Are we willing to go public? Because we raised our hands when we said, yeah, God is so good. And He is. God is so good. He doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. Will you say it with me? In your heart, yes, God is good. And I know Him. And I love Him. I'm going to let everybody know that I'm going to live a life of praise to Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank You that You call us to be public with our faith, public with how Your hand is upon our lives and how we've committed our lives to You. I thank You, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to hear others in our church family here who've decided to go public with their faith. I pray that you'll help them as they share their stories, their testimonies of how you got a hold of their lives, how you've made a difference. May this be a catalyst for all of us to be people who don't keep it to ourselves, but get it out there because, Lord, you're so good to us. We praise you in this moment, Jesus. We pray this in your name.